Hey guys, it's Ed, and I'm coming to you live from quarantine here in Detroit. Things are looking better. I am so happy. Um, Will and I should be able to record Paula Talk together soon. Um, obviously not today. Um, Michigan Cylinder, uh, stay at home. Uh, at least for uh, another little while, and I believe New York is about to extend theirs as well. But <clears throat> I hope everyone is doing well. And uh, with the weather turning nicer, hopefully some of these restrictions are lifted and we can get back to a somewhat normal existence. Um, all right, that out of the way, let's talk about Ruby Rose. So I'm going to tell you what everyone else already knows, and then I'm going to get into what I've actually uncovered while digging for the story. So, last week, people were shocked when it was announced that, despite Batwoman being renewed for season two, Ruby Rose would not be continuing on in the role of Kate. And a lot of people started questioning what what went wrong, what happened. Uh, immediately, people pinned the blame on uh, Ruby Rose being injured early on in, in the filming for season one um, to the point where she was almost paralyzed. And it seemed to make the most sense and while some publications like Deadline tried to downplay the role and say that it had nothing to do with it, others, there's nothing in anyone's statement that actually negates that. That being said, I don't think um, that they really wanted to get into the real issues here, but we'll get to that in a second. TV Line ran a report from one of their sources um, that verified completely what I told people on Facebook. This was not her choice. She may have wanted out, but um, Berlanti Productions, um, Warner Brothers, and the CW had invested way too much money for them to just let her walk away. Um, they didn't get into the details of what actually happened, but they most certainly um, got us on the track. And I was working with a couple of my sources. Um, one of them is my friend who you saw on a gossip blog. And the other is someone who he introduced me to, who works with the CW. Here is what I know now. Ruby Rose was obviously their first choice. Uh, they really liked her, um, and they thought she was bigger than what she was. Mostly because she thought she was bigger than what she was. So they hired her under, with the impression that doing so would bring them really big ratings. 
with Arrow coming to an end, they knew they needed kind of a new um, anchor show. Um, all the other superhero shows are kind of up there in age and getting ready to end themselves. So they figured that anchoring it into Batwoman was going to be the right way to go about it. However, uh, the ratings were soft, to say the best. Now, there's there could be a million arguments as to why that was. Um, some people pointed to the Sunday night time slot. Uh, one source said that there was a lot of confusion over what was happening. You know, there there's a million things that can go wrong with the show. And it wasn't like the ratings were atrocious. It just wasn't what they had hoped they would be. But... Every single source I have agrees upon is this. Ruby Rose was a diva on set. It was bad before her injury. After her injury, it became atrocious. There were a few times within the first couple months that they actually considered um, they actually considered recasting whether or not they um, whether or not they did was always contingent upon the network approving the network did not approve um they felt that things were already set, promotions were already done. And so then the coronavirus gave them kind of an opening. With um, production shut down early uh, and no, uh, no start back being set as of yet. The CW pushed their <clears throat> um, their new season until winter of 2021. And with that, they gave the go-ahead to fire Ruby Rose. Now, I just want to... Backtrack just real quick to remember when we were talking about TV line A, so it wasn't 100% her choice. Uh, here's the thing she wanted out, but she was smart enough to realize that she probably wasn't going to be let out of her contract. So after talking to her agent, she kind of just accepted fate for what it was. But when Warner Brothers and them came calling to negotiate getting her out of her contract, everything kind of fell into place. 
And coming up in our next segment, we're going to talk about, um, we're going to continue talking about this story a little bit more, um, but we're going to focus on who should replace Ruby Rose. I'll be right back. And I'm back. So we've been talking about Ruby Rose leaving Batwoman. So obviously speculation has immediately turned to who will replace her. And right now the field has only been narrowed to an LGBTQ actress who who as far as I can tell has to be publicly out. Um Everyone's a little bit tight-lipped about this, I think, because they're, they want to employ um, the, the recast um, scenario as a marketing tool to get people hyped up. I almost think that there should be, like, a... Um, America's Next Batwoman type of reality show where viewers get to choose. <laughs> I don't know if that, that actually will come to pass. Um, likely not, but it would be hella fun. Let's just, can we just park that right there for a second? It would be hella fun. Uh-huh. But anyways, <laughs> all right, so... Who could possibly be, who could possibly replace Ruby Rose as Batwoman? What, so far, what we have is um, Cameron Grimes, who plays Mariah on The Young and the Restless, publicly came out of the closet as bisexual. Now, there was no indication beforehand that she was bi or attracted to women. But conversely, there was very little evidence that she was straight and was completely into men. Um, I think that's a really bad way to word that, but oh well. <laughs> but in any case, um, the reason for that is the soaps are their own little bubble. No matter how bad your behavior is, or what, um, or what you need hidden, the soap press will all back up and get in line and just put out positive stories. Um, this became really, um, really needed. As soaps were canceled and replaced with talk shows um, to protect the remaining shows. Now there's only four on air. Um, four on air, but only one doing original episodes during quarantine. Um, it, it's even more necessary. So, Cameron Grimes is definitely... And she admitted she wants the role of Batwoman. If we're to take the the excuse of 
being, um, I'm trying to think of how to word this. Uh, that, uh, if we're if we're gonna take the um, the official statement of her not realizing what long days it was gonna be and whatnot. Then Cameron Grimes probably is one of the more preferred choices because soaps. Um, I don't know if anyone watched the story of soaps, but you've seen that they'll shoot in a week. They can shoot about twenty episodes, and they will work eighteen, nineteen hour days. Go home, come back, and start all over again. So um, there's that. There's that. Um, and she, she's a really good actress, actually, but, um, if they're looking for a big name, um, I think they might try to go with the Kristen Stewart, like a Kristen Stewart type of, now, I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, you know, Kristen Stewart's kind of above it, and you're right. But I think that's the kind of person that they want to land. Um, a gay icon who has been out for more than two days. Um, who has seen the brutal battle of homophobia. Um, battled Donald Trump. And still come out the winner. Um... You know, I think that's just, that's exactly what is needed at this point. Um, of course, I don't think that they'll actually get Kristen Stewart. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone else. Everyone else I, I'm thinking of, I think, is a little bit too old for the role. Um, they could go with Ruby Rose's former Orange is the New Black co-star, uh, Taryn... Uh, I can I can never remember her name. She was the she played Piper. Um, she would be good. Uh, you know, frankly, I love Laura Prepron, but I don't think Laura is out. Um, so tell me, you guys, who do you think should be playing Batwoman? Um, message me on Facebook at Author Ed Anderson, Twitter at Author Ed A. Let me know what you're thinking about this. And I'm going to take a break. And I'll be right back. And I'm back. And we're doing another exclusive. Um, yeah, it's not just Ruby Rose today. It's Kelly Ripa too. Um, Alright, so. This is a story I've been sitting on for a while until my source gave me the okay to go run with it. But we've talked about Kelly Ripa a lot and how she's a major, major diva and bitch behind the scenes. I don't think anyone's really completely surprised by this. But what we haven't really talked about is how ABC wants to deal with her. The, the fever and hope behind Ryan Seacrest's hiring was that they could get a co-host in there that was stable and 
could theoretically uh, hold down the roost <clears throat> or hold down the show while they got rid of Kelly Ripa. This would have been the first time, I believe, the first time since Regis and Kathy Lee, at the very least, that one of the co- one of the co-hosts was leaving. Um, with with the other one having less than ten years of experience, um, in the at the at the table. <clears throat> However. Uh, you know, Ryan Seacrest is a professional. He's been around for a very long time. Um, he's been hosting his radio show since I don't even know when. Um, and he's been hosting American Idol with that short year, I think it was like one season break, um, since 2000. Uh, maybe not quite 2000. I think it was like... 2001 or 2002. It's been a really long time, almost 20 years. So, you know, this was always going to be, um, you know, with his experience, nobody really ever expected um, him not to know what he was doing. It does take daytime audiences a while to warm up to someone new. But usually having a familiar name is very helpful. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. But, um, you know, being Kelly Ripa right now is... If, if I was Kelly Ripa, I would probably be in, thinking the same thing. They're not going to get rid of me. They can't get rid of me. I am the show. The show is me. The The problem with that logic is... The show survived losing Regis. I know a lot of people are going to get mad at me for saying this. Um, yes, Kathy Lee leaving was obviously devastating. But Regis... Um, as far as I can tell... As of right now, is still the longest running um, co-host in the show's history. So, when he left, he was an OG, and the show had become very synonymous with him. So there was every chance that the show was going to fail when he left. But it it survived, and someone even argue thrived. Now, as we're approaching Kelly Ripa's next contract cycle, the ABC is starting to wonder: Could lightning strike twice? Could they get away with? Replacing Kelly Ripa with someone younger and cheaper. Now, here is one cautionary tale. When NBC pushed Kathy Lee out, 
in favor of Jenna Bush um, Hager. They experienced a ratings plummet. Again, daytime audiences are not like other audiences. They like continuity. They like to know that their favorite host will be around tomorrow or the next day or for years to come. Um, it's why launching a successful daytime talk show is so difficult. Um, first of all, not everyone has a warm personality. Um, NBC tried it with Megyn Kelly. Uh, and despite my personal feelings about her, Megyn Kelly was a big get for them. But she would have been a big get if she had been doing hard news. Um, if she had been an anchor for the nightly news or a news magazine instead of trying to do fluff pieces, she would have knocked it out of the park. Uh, you know, uh, and just, I, Will's going to kill me for this ramble, but I'm just going to do it anyways. Here's the thing, you know, I don't like politics either, so I completely understand where Megan Kelly was coming from. Um, but sometimes you have to do what you have to do. And you, she could have done true crime segments. So she could have done hard-hitting investigative reporting. Uh, you know, she had the resources to do all this. Um, but she didn't fit in with daytime, and that, that's the whole point of this whole thing. Um, Kelly Ripa actually fit into daytime because she came from daytime. People knew her from All My Children as Haley Vaughn. And they loved her. So that's why she was able to do this so seamlessly and why everything seemed to just be working in her favor. I think over the years, um, the audience has gotten quite comfortable with her and she's gotten quite comfortable with her paycheck. Well, now ABC wants to dump her. They want her gone. Um, her stunt a few years back with the um, doing a three-day walkout workout strike or call-out strike, whatever you want to call it, um, really didn't sit well with the higher-ups. You know, this woman has paid multi-million dollars to come in and entertain people. And that's not really put Disney in a bad light. And anything that puts Disney in a bad light, whew, um, you probably don't want to stick around for that. <laughs> but, I mean, even furthermore, um, her, her them blasting Disney on Disney's air really, um, I think, sealed her fate. They needed to get another co-host, because you can't have the show without any co-host, and they're smart enough to realize that. Um, and my source says that's, she knows that they want her gone, and that's why she's trying to push Ryan out the door as quickly as possible. Because if she can get him out the door, she can keep her job. So there's that. All right, I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. 
And I am back. So, okay. The daytime Emmy ceremony is actually going to be broadcast for the first time since 2011. Um, it's going to be on CBS. It's going to be a virtual ceremony. Uh, which I think is actually really cool. Um, I don't know if CBS is doing this because they just need programming. Um, or if this is kind of like the wave of the future, they realize that daytime is worthy of having a broadcast ceremony. Um, I, I really don't know the inside workings of this, and my source is being, my source at CBS is being very tight-lipped about it. But, um, it, it's official, it's happening. And the nominations came out the day before, or the day after, the announcement that they were going to be appearing on, or being they were going to be broadcast on CBS. <sighs> All right. Uh, General Hospital had the most nominations of any show, any daytime show, um, with eight. Um, the Kelly Clarkson show had the most of any talk show with seven. Now, in the in the previous segment about Kelly Ripa, I was talking. A little bit about how daytime audiences need to um, connect with you and they need to know they need to like you and um, and all that. Kelly Clarkson is one of those Cinderella stories. She has um, since winning the first American Idol just enjoyed a very very gilded um, ride of success. Now, of course, there were pit stops, and there's a whole ugly story about her battle with her former record company. Um, but even that, um, she fought them, she won. And even better, um, the CD she fought to put out is considered a classic. Um, so go, Kelly. Um, but, uh, um, let's just go over, she has, she was nominated in her first year, she was nominated for Best Entertainment Talk Show and Best Entertainment Talk Show Host. Um, conversely, Dr. Phil has not been nominated in either category since 2011. And for the first time in, in his own talk show history, Dr. Oz is not up for either. Both those gentlemen have made comments about the coronavirus. Dr. Oz said that um, schools should be reopened, that sacrificing 2 to 3% of the population of children is worth it. And Dr. Phil keeps pushing to reopen the economy no matter what the cost. And you have Kelly over here doing live um, shows live from her ranch in Montana. Um, you know, she's doing these really great segments. Um, She's still putting together clipped um, 
clip segments from from things that she produced before that just never aired for whatever reason. Uh, it, you know, it's just really one of those great things. And she's very honest. Um, I don't know if anyone has watched her show. Um, if you're listening uh, and you watch her show, let me know. But I've, I've been watching her show. And she does this thing that I think is really, really awesome. Well, where she'll joke about the budget of her show. She's like, I'm first year talk show host. I don't have the money for this. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> that's the sort of thing that wins the people over. Um, her, her talk show has been renewed for season two already. Um, and <clears throat> I don't, frankly, I don't know where she finds the time to do all this. But... A source close to the Kelly, the Kelly Clarkson show told me that they did not expect to get nominated for Emmys this year. Um, as they were trying to figure out what they wanted to do, what was working, what wasn't working, um, they put it all out there for people to see. And, you know, they were really worried that by not having a format, a traditional format, they were going to be um, really um, dinged, um, for lack of a better way of saying it. But instead of getting dinged, what happened was um, an explosion in popularity and um, the most nominations of any talk show. And, you know, that's really one of those... Oh, it's really one of those great things. Um, so she's celebrating. The women of The View are celebrating. Um, none of them had actually expected to be nominated this year. Um, their big hope was for next year. Um, they were nominated for outstanding informative talk show and outstanding informative talk show hosts. Um, and my source from The View tells me uh, that all the women are very happy. Um, they're, um, they're certainly planning on celebrating but they're not anticipating actually taking home the top prize. Um, so there's that. All right. I'm going to take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. And so there's breaking news last Friday uh, that Kwame Kilpatrick was going to be released from prison early due to the coronavirus. All right, so let's, um, let me just clear one thing up here. Yes, this is normally Will's area, but since it's Detroit and true crime, um, we decided that I would be best to handle it. So <laughs> I know people are wondering why I'm handling something dealing with politics, seeing as I was uh, forbidden from talking about it. <laughs> And yes, I will get yelled at. 
<laughs> Anyways, um, okay, so Kwame Kilpatrick is Detroit's former mayor. He is in office from 2001 until 2008. <clears throat> he, as of right now, he's the only mayoral candidate to lose the primary. He came in second to Freeman Hendricks, but still end up winning the overall general election to um, stay mayor. Uh, Kwame was a state rep before taking on the role of mayor of Detroit. And he, the Kilpatrick legacy is just great here. I'm not even going to go into all the, de- 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 the, all the details about that. But um, there are two things that really sunk his can, um, his his political career. First was a text messaging scandal. So when he first moved into the Manoogie Mansion the mansion where Detroit mayors live, he allegedly threw a wild party. His wife, Carlita Kilpatrick, allegedly caught a stripper by the name of Strawberry, aka Tamara Green, giving him a lap dance. Tamara Green would later end up being murdered. Uh, And there's a huge cover-up. We'll We'll do the story again. Um, we'll do that part of the story later. Um, but there was a huge cover-up with the Detroit police. Um, and her murderer has never actually been found. Uh, but the... So right after the um, rumor of that party leaked out, it came out that he had used city funds to lease a Lincoln Navigator for his family. Now, keep in mind that at this time, Detroit was very cash-strapped and didn't have um, the ability, the capability of um, paying for, for transportation and all of this for, for the mayor. And so there was a huge controversy that swelled up over this that promised to wreck his political career. As if that weren't enough, Kwame Kilpatrick was having an affair with his chief of staff, Christine Beatty. A former Detroit police officer and um, one of Kwame's former bodyguards both filed a whistleblower lawsuit against Kwame himself and the city of Detroit, claiming that they had been let go because they they were digging into a scandal and they were told not to. Kwame denied this. The case went to court And the jury awarded them $6.5 million. Kwame and his team vowed to appeal this decision, claiming that he had every right to fire them 
and it had nothing to do with, it had everything to do with their performance and nothing to do uh, with them uh, looking into whatever they were looking into. However, and this is where things get a little bit weird, just a few months later, they agreed, and Kwame pushed city council to agree to a settlement of $8.3 million, nearly $2 million more than what the jury awarded them. The cop and the bodyguard had to sign confidentiality agreements, as did their lawyer. They had uncovered text messages from Christine Beatty and Kwame Kilpatrick proving that the two were having an affair. And Kwame wanted to keep it quiet because he had denied it under oath um, both in the lawsuit and in other venues. Channel 7 here on WXYZ was accused of promoting false stories as they reported um, that there was, uh, as they were reporting just about all of these things on channels um, on Kwame Kilpatrick's administration, including that Sirenjo, Sirenjo, I'm looking at my notes and this is a really hard company name. <laughs> Uh, was awarded a $1.6 billion city contract, and it had ties to Bernard Kilpatrick, Kwame's father. So he has this fire over here with the adultery, and then a, basically a corruption scandal brewing. So under using... The Freedom of Information Act, the Detroit News, the Detroit Free Press, WXYZ, and a few other media outlets sued um, Kwame Kilpatrick and um, yeah, to have um, everything turned over. Well, it turned out that the, the cop would have lost $2 million, the bodyguard would have lost $1.6 million, and the attorney would have lost $2.6 million if the confidentiality agreement was ever, ever um, broken. Well, under the Freedom of Information Act, they had to turn everything over anyways. And Kwame was, ended up being tried for a bunch of charges, he spent some time in jail, he got out, and almost immediately, um, the Sarah Joe scandal broke loose, there were RICO charges filed against him from the federal government, um, and there were so many, so many charges there, I can't even, all in all, he was convicted on every single count and was sentenced to 28 years, which was what the prosecutor had recommended. So, um, part of those charges were from Kwame using the Kilpatrick Civic 
fund, which was supposed to help better Detroit, I was the charity to find family vacations, including one to a spa resort in California where they spent nearly $10,000. Um, so he yeah, counts of wire, uh, wire and mail fraud. And um, so that was part of it. And then, um, like I said, he was sentenced to 28 years. And he served seven of them so far when news broke from the Ebony Coalition that he was going to get an early release. Now, there are some people who are arguing that his sentence was unjust and unfair given that he... Um, given the crimes as described... And they feel that they were trying to make an example out of him, and he was only treated more harshly because he's a black man. There's another continuum that says, hey, he broke the fucking law. If you do the crime, you have to do the time. We're not going to debate that here. Um, but I'm, cause I'm sticking to the facts, like Will told me to. <laughs> um... Channel 2, um, it's Fox 2 Detroit here. I don't remember the call letters. I apologize for that. Um, but Fox 2 Detroit broke the story on air about the Ebony Coalition. WWJ, which is the AM radio station, news station here, uh, followed shortly after. No one had any details. No one still has any details. Um, everyone seems to be kind of being quiet about this. Um, so here, this is, this is what we know as of right now. Allegedly, he's being released. Um, a lot of people are saying it's because of the coronavirus. He's in a prison where there's been a huge outbreak. Uh, and since he's a nonviolent offender, um, he could easily go under house arrest, um, while he awaits his appeal, or, um, he could just be freed. Uh, at some point, Trump was considering clemency for him, uh, as well as a full pardon. However, nothing has come of that. And on that note, I'm going to turn things over to Will with Politalk. As always, thank you all so much for listening. Talk to you soon. Ladies, gentlemen, and other listeners, welcome back to Politalk. Thank you for being patient with me during this week's delay. Things have been rather hectic for me at home, and as a result, I have been unable to find good times to record for y'all. Still better late than never, as they say, and so this week we'll be coming in with a short update, diving into various Trump Twitter scandals and lawsuits, more information on the Mike Pompeo debacle, and the ever-rising coronavirus death toll in the United States. That last one is the grimmest, so we're going to get it out of the way first. COVID has not gone away, as many people, including myself, have hoped, and thanks to several new hotspots flaring, the death toll in the U.S. alone is approaching 100,000, with unfortunately relatively few signs of slowing down or stopping. This has significantly slowed efforts to reopen the country as citizens stay indoors for fear for their lives, and has not been well received by the government, especially the Trump administration, 
if the tweets he's been sending out for the past week or so are any indication of his state of mind. The old fucknut-in-chief spent the weekend tweeting out conspiracy theories that Joe Scarborough of Morning Joe, who the president has had an on-again, on-again feud with since he announced his intention to enter the race back in 2015. 2016, my apologies. Though he may have initially announced his intentions to enter in the later parts of 2015, his campaign did not really get off the ground until 2016, and that's when his feud with feud with Morning Joe and Mika Brzezinski started. Anyway, Trump has spent the weekend pushing baseless conspiracy theories that Morning Joe, as he will be referred to from here on in this podcast, was involved with or even orchestrated the murder of a former colleague and staffer of his some 20 years ago. The girl's parents have reached out in a widely publicized open letter to Trump, asking him to stop dredging up the memory of her death and using it for his political gain. However, he has shown no signs of doing so. In fact, both of his sons, but especially Don Jr., have jumped on the conspiracy theory train as well. It's possible that this new tweet storm is intended to distract from the woes facing Mike Pompeo, who, in addition to coming under fire for firing the inspector looking into his potential abuses of power, has drawn criticism for, among other things, meeting with donors on taxpayer-funded trips and using official departmental visits and vehicles to meet with private sector allies and people who can advance, help him advance his own ambitions. Whether this finally dissuades Mitch McConnell from attempting to persuade him to become the, to run for the Senate seat in Kansas remains to be seen. The Republicans may need all the help they can get, as many have commented that the map seems to be turning against them. Despite good news for Kelly Loeffler in Georgia, namely that the Justice Department has dropped the investigation into her, as well as the investigations into James Infoy and Diane Feinstein. She faces what look increasingly looks to be an uphill battle in her state. In the wake of Brian Kemp's reopening decisions and the gruesome murder of Ahmed Arbery, polls have showed Republican candidates across the state slipping. Demographics and other factors may be turning against Senator Luffler even after she was cleared of official wrongdoing by the end of the investigation. However, given the highly politicized nature of the Justice Department nowadays, few are likely to see it dropping its investigation as clearance for her. Little public progress has been made in any other capacity regarding the Senate, as I'm sure y'all could guess. Though this does mean that the next round of COVID relief, if it comes, will be very, very much delayed and po possibly, hopefully not, a day late and a dollar short, as it were. Now, I'd love to end this session of Politalk on a high note, but I'm afraid that I have to go yell at Ed for a bit for going off on a long tangent in an earlier podcast and for repeatedly slandering me during it. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time... Cheers.